Fangoria has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible, and it comes right to your front door four times a year, should you subscribe, and you damn well should. Each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future, with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including your intrepid King Cass hosts. This high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you'll need to subscribe. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. And since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast at checkout to save a whopping 25% off your entire order. Also, you might be aware that Fangoria's Notorious Chainsaw Awards have locked in their nominees, and they want you, yes you, to vote for your favorite genre offerings from last year, and the time is running out. Cast your ballot at Fangoria.com slash vote before February 27th. And with all of that said, let's get on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast and the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We have an exciting doubleheader for you all this week. A first-time guest tackling a Stephen King novel that we have never covered on the show before. Mm -hmm. He's a ferociously talented author, writer, producer, and stand-up comedian whose talents have been brought to bear on shows like Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and Showtime's dearly departed Jesus Marrow in publications like McSweeney's and the New York Times and whose stand-up has graced the stages of both Conan O'Brien and Seth Meyers. He's here today to talk to us about 1999's The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which at present has no adaptation, but which is allegedly getting one via director Lynn Ramsey, if reports from two years ago are uh, still to be believed. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Josh Gondelman. Josh, how are you doing today? I feel delighted to be here, first of all. Thank you for having me. I, I feel great. Very psyched to have you on the show. I actually caught one of your shows in Austin, like maybe a month ago or something or within the last month. Yeah, it was, it was right before Christmas as an, and thank you so much for coming. that always, I mean, frankly, it means a lot that anyone ever comes to my shows. <laughs> and when you wrote, I was like, Oh man, that's so nice. Thank you. Oh, of course. And speaking of people that come to your shows, I was, I was alarmed when I walked in and saw, you know, as I put it to you on Twitter, like the cast of the new cocoon sitting like <laughs> right in the middle of the audience. And was like, what the fuck? Like, um, do you often get older, older folks in there? Like people like my parents. Have my parents been to your show? Do you know, <laughs> they're they're at all of my shows. Weirdly. Oh, damn. Yeah, they're like my they travel. They like camp out outside the comedy club. <laughs> your groupies <laughs> just hanging out. Yeah. I'm um, going to get on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. Very. It's you know, and I let them on. They shouldn't be yeah. walking alone at night at their age. Um, I mean, they're harlots, you know, but, <laughs> but look, they have hearts of gold. <laughs> and well, you don't want anyone harmless. stealing those valuable golden hearts out on the open road. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you get a nice little trip to Luby's afterwards. Everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. It's it's delightful. Precisely. I um I do sometimes. I don't think I draw 
a lot of older people, but I think sometimes since being like on NPR more, or I'm pretty, I'm pretty oh. regularly appearing as a panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is wonderful. And I think that has upped the average age of people in my audience a little bit. But I also will say I used to be terrified when I would see old people uh, right. in the audience. And now I feel like I've age the ravages of time have taken their toll on my mind and body and so i feel like i have more to say to them and i'm more skilled at communicating and i care less where if i'm just like if there's a couple old people that are just like he's too youthful it's like (laughs) he's like a logan paul um (laughs) then i uh then i will i'm just like then Sorry, you should have watched the clip on the website. I was even younger <laughs> right. then than I am now. <laughs> well, you you killed it, uh, regardless of the. I mean, they they seem to be having a good time. These people, yeah. And then in... Cap City and Austin's a really fun room, and they they draw really nice people. That was yeah. the that was the first time I'd been to that new location. I'd been in the older one, mm-hmm. but yeah. Like, yeah, on the way to the show, uh, my friend who was driving pointed the car in the opposite direction. I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and and she was like, "Well, I'm going to the club." Like, and I was trying to argue argue with her when I was really arguing with Google Maps. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong. I hadn't been there before. Mm. Um, but I was surprised to see a comedy club in that. I know in that, it's in that area. It was there's, odd. There's a lot of comedy clubs that are in big kind of shopping centers like that. Like a lot of the big chain clubs. Uh, do that there or, or in like straight up malls. Um, so it was, I was like not as surprised, but the old one was in kind of like a little tiny strip mall right by the highway. And mm-hmm. it, it felt a little more like off the beaten path than this one. I yeah. mean, I said it on stage. I, there's like this whole, you know, the whole, the, the longstanding motto of keep Austin weird. And we were in the least weird part of Austin. <laughs> right. It was like an yeah. outdoor shopping center that felt like there was like a Tesla store. <laughs> yeah. The kind of, the kind of place where you could get anything gift, gift wrapped year round. It's like <laughs> right. that, that sort yeah. of shopping going on. And they're on like, they're like, oh, we'll use discretion, sir, because it's all for getting gifts for your partner that you cheated on and need to buy <laughs> a big ticket item to apologize. <laughs> we understand your trophy wife. Wife is furious, but mm-hmm. we can take care of that for you. We in Austin's Gucci Prada district take these matters <laughs> very seriously. Man, I See, saw s- so many great shows at that old location, though. There, there is something about a good comedy club that's just kind of slightly run down, and you feel the history of it. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I remember I saw Dave Chappelle there, pre problematic Dave Chappelle, but mm-hmm. this is like pre rise, you know, of uh, mm-hmm. like he, he was most famous for half baked at that point, And this is pre Chappelle show and everything. And I remember going to see him there and he actually <laughs> made me for whatever reason. I don't remember how, but I guess I must have like opted for the the top tier ticket that got you like really close to the stage. And I was the sat splash zone. I was like, so I was like, it, one of they those like you, little, they let you smash a watermelon. If it's not a Gallagher <laughs> show. Rest in peace. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> take You're invited to do your own racisms after to. the show. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but like what that did is that actually made me part of his audience work, which was, you know, something that I'll always uh, have a fond memory of. But like, I was just a single fat kid you know there at the show so i I was a good target and when he ever he turned his gaze on me i'm just like oh man here we go 
Here he uh, comes. But he ended up oh, he fuck. ended up being more like there was a a girl that like it, I was at a table that was a two seater, like uh you know one of those tall chairs, you know candle lit tables that are right up on the stage that have two seats. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there was like a random girl that was sitting in the other one. He was like, and so he presumed we were going out. And then when that didn't happen, when that wasn't, re- <laughs> uh, the reality, he, uh, he then moved into his like, well, you know, maybe that you're going to get married. Maybe you love connection sure. or whatever, sure, but sure. I always remember that show because he literally jumped over my head because the cops showed up. Uh, <laughs> there was like a heckler that was getting abusive. Oh my and gosh. apparently like punched out somebody in the in the lobby after they took him out. And so the cop showed up and he just dropped his, whatever he was saying, dropped the mic and said, Oh shit. And like the, the police and he just <laughs> he jumps just and like literally leaps over the front road. Wow. <laughs> pretending to get out. So good bit of physical it. comedy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's, and it's a, it's a shame that uh, it's a shame that he stopped doing stand up in like 2014 and yes. never resumed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you have a lot of insightful and <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if you were still working today, he'd politics. say stuff that everybody liked hearing and nobody found to be painful and unpleasant. <laughs> God, that's that's one of the most that's some disappointing shit, isn't it? It's just yeah. like, I mean, I I idolized. Uh, Chappelle for so many years like a lot of my generation did he was the funniest motherfucker alive and then you know now it's just like I don't even I don't even recognize him as 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 who he used to be and it's just it's the whole thing is just sad to me I I always feel you know I think he's such a a topic of conversation because he's such a a, um lightning rod yeah well and, and and so famous right like it's not just right. that he's controversial he's like one of the most famous celebrated accomplished comedians of the last two plus two or three two and a half decades let's say yeah and yeah. and i always kind of feel like whitely that i don't have <laughs> that it's not like my place to like comprehensively critique the work of dave Chappelle. i feel like mm-hmm. I, I don't have like necessarily the the standing and I think because I think he has said over time so many uncomfortable things that are uh incisive and true and that's why they're uncomfortable but all that said it is such a bummer the the kind of like the the really the way he really targets trans people especially and it's like really it really makes me sad to see yeah yeah that's really the prevalent emotion to it it's like I'm not I'm not angry about it you know, I'm I'm bummed out by it and just kind of grossed out by it. You know, yeah. it's and I have I have, you know, we've had uh, trans friends on the show before where we're very left leaning like that. But kind of along the lines of what you were saying about feeling whitely about it, I kind of feel like it's it. you put it perfectly. It's not my job to critique, you know, his show. I just I can support it or I cannot. Yeah. And, but that know. part of it, I don't want to be like. It's not it's my it's not my place to critique his comedy. So therefore, mm-hmm. I'll remain silent on an issue that's really important to a lot of people. Right. You know what I mean? I just mean like I try not to get like too deep into it as if like like I'm trying not I don't like write stuff. I'm not like writing an essay about it because I'm right. like, this isn't my place. But I do feel like it's important to be like, yeah, that's it's a that's a bummer, man. I wish yeah. he, I wish he, he wouldn't do that. It's really bad to do. Yeah. No. But well, yeah. moving away from this topic, sure. Okay. Um, you uh, you've been out on the road like a lot, you know. Um, every time, every time I see you posting on Twitter, I feel like 
you are you are in a different city. Um, I know you're based out of Brooklyn, but yeah. Um, in your in your travels as of late, um, how's the how's the country feeling to you? I've okay. I've had so much fun. I've had like a truly wonderful time being on mm-hmm. tour for the first time in years that have like seriously been able to be on the road. Um, and I have at this point in my career uh, the excuse me ability to go to some cities or many cities and have most of the people that come to my shows be happy to see me (laughs) and that's new to me so like i've had an experience of touring where like how does the country feel well i go to a city and anywhere from several full rooms of people to one uh 10 full room of people are like hey we're having a good time tonight we came out to hear what you have to say so i'm getting a skewed version of america for sure (laughs) good answer Thank you. Um, Vespi, do you have any questions for Josh about touring? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, and not to tie this back to Chappelle, but there is a a trend that I've been seeing that kind of has me roll my eyes. Uh, and I'm curious about Josh's take on this and that uh, it's died down a little bit, but it still kind of shows up. And it's even in people that, you know, like I love Bill Burr. I love, I love these, you know, caustic comedians and stuff, but even, Bill like came out in that post me too era and was just like the first things out of their mouth on is like, Oh, you know, all you snowflakes better watch out. I might challenge you on, on this thing. Oh, I might say something that's going to get me in trouble. I don't know. And to me, I just roll my, cause it sounds like that, that always makes it sound like, um, I don't know that, that they're just like, I'm going to say something shocking for the sake of being shocking. And it uh, automatically puts me in that mindset. Is that something that you've been noticing? Like, as you've been going around, is that still kind of a prevalent thing? I mean, I, I understand that there had to be some sort of reaction, especially kind of in this, you know, this modern zone of sensitivity um, to it. But uh, it, it always like disappoints me when people I'd like use that as a an excuse to why they might punch down during their show. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I definitely think there's still like what what you see or what I used to see around the city that's like that's died down a little bit is people being like, all right, don't blog about me, whatever I say. Right. And and it's like, I don't know. It just I I it's it's a little silly to me. I think that's what it is. It's like you know, I think most people, the worst thing that happens when someone writes a blog that's like, I didn't like this comedy is like some other people are like, we don't like that. And like, I think that's OK. Sometimes that people don't right. like goodness knows people don't <clears throat> like what I do. And I, I you know, d- don't tell me to my face. <laughs> it's <all> an awful <laughs> yeah. feeling. I'm right. I certainly have people that are and I'm very gentle comedian, but sometimes people are like, oh, we don't like that. And I'm like. Okay, well, keep keep that to yourself, man. That's not for me to know. Yeah, right. maybe you'll like the next one. Yeah, or the one after that. Who mm-hmm. knows? But it I is. Do, I, th- I I think there's like there is kind of a strain of comedy where it's people that like explicitly want. I mean, right. I, I also think they want to push the buttons, and then people that want to push the buttons, and then and get the credit for like quote unquote going there, but don't want any of the criticism for quote unquote going there. And right, you've got to you've got to have both or neither, especially if you're doing it on purpose. If you say something that's, that's messed up by accident, 
then you don't, you know what I mean? You're not like court, but if right. you're like, Ooh, this might be a little too much for some of you little cry babies. In the mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and one's like, this is too much for me. Then you're like, uh, shut up. And you're like, you said I wasn't going to like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot of like stand-up specials on, on streaming where it's like the thumbnails, like someone with black tape over the mouth or the specials called like pre-canceled. Or I, um, like, <laughs> I really, really wanted to call, I put out a special last summer and I really wanted to call it triggered much. Um, <laughs> Cause it's uh, my jokes are about like, um, like isn't it weird when you pick a wedding dj or whatever yeah, right. and, um, but i would like i like couldn't my my wife I for, who was the first person i told that i did she was like very funny don't do that because <laughs> it's like it also would have been a terrible title because it would have like legitimately driven away people i think would like my comedy and appealed <laughs> to people who'd be like this guy's awful i hate him yeah um at the mention of your wife, I've got I've, I've got to mention this, or I'm going to hear about it later. But um, my I, I have a lady friend. She's the 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 person I came to your show with. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, is a huge fan of your wife Maris. Same. And, yeah, and um, she when I told her that like we came and saw that show, and then a couple weeks later I mentioned that you were coming on this show, and she was like, "Oh my god, tell him I love his wife." Um, I gave her the opportunity to write down a couple sentences to pass along, yeah. but she, she, she passed. Not, she did not do it. And she, or, uh, I reminded her just before we went on the air and, uh, she was busy, but wanted me to pass along that she loves your wife and just as much as you and maybe a smidge more. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Intense. Um, uh, but I respect that. Look, I, I, I'm putting words in her mouth. We've, no, 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 no. We've I been married be. for several years. I feel like there's going to be challengers at some point. <laughs> I've, I've been on the road. This is, could be like a, the odyssey situation. I know anytime that I come back from the road, there might be, um, you know, dozens of uh, women in their thirties and forties camped out, fashioning my wife, a bookshelf or <laughs> a whole trying, harem. To, trying to steal her away from me. And she knows that I'm not dead because I texted her that morning. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Um, okay, so let's. Uh, I guess it's time for your your Stephen King origin story. Yeah, um, I I did it again where I said the thing before I invited you to answer it. This is a thing I've been doing on the show lately because I've been doing this show for too long. But um, <laughs> long story short, uh, what is your Stephen King origin story, John? Okay, I think this. I've been thinking about this. I think my Stephen King origin story is. Uh, my gateway drug to Stephen King, as I imagine, I'm not alone in this, was one R.L. Stein, and mm-hmm. so I was I was gobbling up the middle grade and YA R.L. Stein books. And, you know, goosebumps, goose, boy. your goosebumps, your Fear Streets, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, I'm ready for the hard stuff. And so I and I was reading. I was a pretty strong reader. Which mm-hmm. is like the worst adult brag of like <laughs> I was reading at a you know adult level and a <laughs> but, um I so I was like oh if I you know I was like a real I was reading a lot of popular fiction I was mm-hmm. I was knee deep in the Grisham game uh, mm-hmm. as a kid. <laughs> that is a combination of words oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's where I was I was like the firm solid. <laughs> 
the rainmaker let's make it rain I'll, i was going <laughs> i was going hard with grisham and so i kind of felt like oh i like popular <laughs> fiction i like these kind of horror stuff so i started branching out into like adult horror and mm-hmm. did not go well it was bad uh i was very squeamish i, I and still am as an adult humiliating mm-hmm. squeamish um, which is, as I mentioned this off mic, one of the reasons why I'm not a deeper KingCast listener is because I'm so unbearably terrified of everything. So all that is to say, my Stephen King origin story, kind of around the same time, I, I from the public library where I lived, checked out uh, um, R.L. Stein's adult horror novel, Superstitious, Superstition. Mm-hmm. Um uh superstitious superstitious not the it's not the same as a stevie wonder song (laughs) (laughs) and uh and then the dead zone by stephen king both of which were too horrifying for me to finish what really so what was what oh oh, scary well when you say squeamish i'm thinking of like violence right yeah i think early in the dead zone very early he like kicks a dog to death Oh, that's true. Yeah, that is like, true. Yeah. I'm 11. This is too much for me. If it, look, if I'm a child, if a dog's going to die in my day, you take it out back, you shoot it in the head quietly. So the kid <laughs> that's just called being an adult. <laughs> so that if you're going to do it in a book, that's the way to do it. Right. You don't do it at the beginning. <laughs> Let me form an emotional connection with the dog first. <laughs> it sounds like you're upset that you weren't more upset. Maybe I was. <laughs> but both – and the R.L. Stein book was like visceral graphic violence, a murder right away, first eight pages. And I was like, I'm out. So – but I still was intrigued because – Stephen King is such a, a creative and masterful storyteller. So I, I never finished the dead zone. I don't think, mm-hmm. but then I like kept trying other books and I got pretty, I, I had like a pretty decent Stephen King run in my like tween to teen years. Yeah. With the books mostly. And you didn't find any of them as, as upset. I like, no, I did. The... I oh, did. Okay. When I was but reading, you stuck with them. Yes. Well, so I'm I'm trying to think of like the kind of meat of this Stephen King run, and it was, and I think also around the a couple of years later, like before I really had this run of books, like I think I probably took a few years off, and then I saw the film The Shining, and I was like, I can do this. So I read, um, maybe I started with like was four seasons the one with the Shawshank Redemption novella in it. That's a uh, yeah, different seasons, different seasons. Yes, yes, that's yes. the one. Four seasons is the song on Black Shawshank, Stand by Me. Yeah. So yeah. I think I probably started with the Shawshank novella, uh, uh, novella because I'd mm-hmm. seen that movie and was like, okay, I know it's coming basically. Um, right. And then I had a run of like uh, um, Green Mile and it which i stopped in the middle oh good lord i stopped in the middle of it for like months i had the library book and i (laughs) left it in a room that i rarely went in i was probably like 15 and i left in a room that i rarely entered for like weeks and then i was like i don't think i'm gonna stop thinking about this until i finish it so i went back and read the second half of it and was like okay that's better now it's wild you say that because it is the only i read that one when i was a kid too and it's the only one that i actually 
sat down for a while and walked away from. Do you remember what some... point it was at? Oh yeah, I remember exactly. It's the scene where one of the bullies to 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 go back to the dog killing thing puts the dog in the refrigerator. Yes. And dies. Oh my god, me too. Oh my <laughs> fucking god. Yeah, it was like I had my family had a had a do- a new dog around that time, and just the abject cruelty of it, like something about it. Um, like I was young enough where this was the, I remember it. I remember having the thought this would have never even like, I never even would have thought of this. Yeah. You know, like I, it it wouldn't have occurred to me to do something like that. And so it felt like insidious in a way that you're like, I didn't know people were fucked up like that. Yeah. (laughs) That you could be that evil. It's one of those things where you're like. I, I remember when I was a kid, I wrote, this is very embarrassing, but I, I was in like a creative writing class in like truly fourth grade, maybe fifth. And this is around the same time as I was like kind of getting into these kinds of like horror yeah. books dabbling, but at like a YA level. And I wrote a short story about like parents that take their kid on a killing spree cross country. And I think my <laughs> parents were like, that you would even think this is scary to us. And that's how I felt about that scene in It, that I was like, the fact that someone could imagine this is terrifying to me. Never mind that someone could, the fact that someone could imagine it means right. someone could do it. And it's funny you mentioned that too with the, the parents thing, because I remember another thing that fucked me up equally just around that time was my family watched Twin Peaks together. Mm. And when, when we realized that Leland Palmer was, spoilers for Twin Peaks like 40 years later or however long it's been, <laughs> um, was the killer of Laura Palmer. It like blew my fucking mind. I remember thinking like parents killing their kids. Like surely not. No. Um, yeah. Now I'm an adult and I realize that shit happens all the time, but kids kill their parents. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, The Menendez trials. Have have they taught us at the same time, right? Roughly contemporaneous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, With twin peaks. I, I was twin peaks was one that when I was a kid, my parents, tape recorded on vhs and would watch it later and and i was like mm-hmm. i want to watch this and they were like this is not for you <laughs> not not that sternly but they were just like oh no absolutely not um which is interesting that they got so into the original twin peaks because my my mom like me is very easily frightened and so i was like oh like last year i was like oh we watched severance and i it was really great and mm-hmm. my mom was like heard it's spooky not for me I don't know that. I don't know if you're. It's hard to say. I mean, spooky is a subjective. It's, you know, it's, it's spooky is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> it it really is. Like I, in a million years, I wouldn't like Severance strikes me as almost like a existential it's, thriller comedy. Yeah, you it's know, very. It's like the darkest edge of dark comedy, and then like the a kind of like because I find it less unsettling than like a Black Mirror episode to episode. Yeah, sure. For sure. Um, I mean, we, I, there are, the, you know, there's a couple scenes that are like, ooh, but like, I, I think she can handle it. I just think she's like, not my speed. Yeah, yeah. that's fair enough. You so, know. so I ran through all these books in a bunch. I did a bunch of the big ones and then some of the less essential ones. Um, uh, I did, I wrote, read Needful Things. I, I like really, I really have to like um, work myself up, but I love like a big epic seven to 1200 page novel. I just like, don't commit to them as much anymore, but I do really love that. Yeah. You know, you might enjoy fairy tale. That new one he did. Okay. It's like, 
It's long. It's substantial. It's like over 600 pages, I think. I think I, I would. I bet I would like it. It's there's I, I should try to to commit to it. My in-laws, when I told them I, I was with my in-laws when we scheduled this and we were talking about what book I should do. It was, uh, I was on vacation with my, my wife and her parents and uh, they really loved the recent TV adaptation of I forget the number, so I'm just going to call it 26, 34 or 36, 24, 36. Oh, 11, 22, 63. <laughs> that, that's the right, Sir a lot series. Yes, that you're yeah, thinking of. Yes. That's what I, that's why I went to yeah. it immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's um, when James Franco goes back to the eighties to get to, a big to try ass. to find that, that button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, is this uh, the man you're looking for? Only that, he's five book, three. that book is fucking phenomenal. In fact, that's yeah. even even better pick for you if you haven't read it. Um, I'm not. It's like it's more science fiction than than horror. Cool. It's got all the cool JFK sort of. It doesn't have much to do with the conspiracy stuff, but it it's sort of like a sideways angle in on that. So you get like, I don't know, you get it's a time travel thing, you know, um, nice. not not scary at all. And that'll. You know, that'll keep you busy for a while. I agree with them, except about the adaptation. Like, you yeah, didn't like the like, adaptation. Well, Franco was like completely miscast in that thing. Oh. You know, like you read the book and it's like this sort of big, like this guy could have been a, a football player and he became a teacher. And, you know, uh, I, I pictured like sort of an all-American boy type like like john krasinski could play sure role this it was a little more of like a it was a little bit of a tom cruise as jack reacher type casting yeah i well here's the thing about franco setting aside all the other problems with franco sure like, franco is just too knowing and he's too modern mm-hmm. and i guess that might have been part of the point to like transport a super modern guy back to the past but it didn't like I didn't buy him in any of the scenes where he was trying to pass in the 60s. Right. You know, it just didn't fucking work. It, it was like a send Jesse you know, Plemons back. He'll blend in. <laughs> Plemons could do it, I think. You know, he's uh, that dude's a chameleon, you know. <laughs> who knows what he who who knows what he's capable of, but uh, I I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. He's <laughs> a madman, that Plemons. <laughs> um, so I guess it makes sense that you would have chosen. Uh, the girl who loved Tom Gordon for your for your your selection on the show, because this is it's scary, but it's not particularly gruesome or, no. you know, it's it's one of the more. And this more was one King novels. I just perhaps. kind of picked when I was reading and there were some that I'd like heard of and knew that had become films. But like there wasn't there was Internet then. This is like late 90s, early aughts. But I, it wasn't like you could go anywhere and read a million reviews of something and be like, these are the essential ones. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so I was just kind of like, like wheeling and dealing at the, the Stoneham public library and just seeing like what was <laughs> there and what I felt like, what uh book cover appealed to me and like what jacket copy. And so this was, this was, I think probably I was like, Oh, I can finish this one in like a day and a half. Cause it's, right. it's, it's shorter than, a lot of his books and it was, it was new at the time. And I was like, Ooh, it's new. Okay. Oh, it's definitely that. Mm-hmm. I mean, not new, but it's definitely short. It's, yeah. You know, like 200 pages or something. It's, it's like two fifty, um, which is longer than I remembered, but it reads, mm. I mean, I, I'm sure we'll get into it, but it like reads like YA. So you just kind of rip through it. Yeah. Um, for any, you know, this is something we do on the show for anyone who is listening, who is not, 
read the novel, would you be willing to walk us through the major beats of the the plot? Of course. Like, yeah, go ahead. So this book takes place in 1998, and mm-hmm. there is a, a young girl named Trisha. Um, let me look up her last name. Maybe it doesn't say here. I have the Wikipedia open, so I'm for reference. But a young girl named Trisha, her parents recently got divorced, and her mom would take her and her brother, older brother Pete, on outings. And whenever they would go on these outings, they moved they moved from suburban Massachusetts to rural Maine. And she's mm-hmm. doing these outings to kind of like give her kids uh this kind of like nice Maine life. And whenever they went on these outings, Pete and the 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 mom Quinna Quilla would fight. And so Trisha is on one of these outings walking in the woods in Maine and peels off. She keeps saying, I have to pee. Can we stop? I have to pee. But really she just wanted the arguing to stop and to like have a break. So she peels off, immediately gets lost in the woods. And then the book is her lost in the woods, wandering, trying to find any semblance of civilization. It's kind of, and she's hiking at night. She puts the title of the book, the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Tom Gordon is kind of a um, notable at the time, but I think historically kind of peripheral Boston Red Sox player. who's a closer, which is a pitcher who pitches usually the ninth inning of a game. If you're not a baseball person, Mm. Um, sometimes you come in for six outs. It's considered a little uh, risky sometimes. Uh, Tom Gordon. She, so he was her favorite player. She's wearing a Tom Gordon signed hat. And she would listen on her Walkman, uh, which for young people, don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, and and would uh, would listen to Red Sox games while she was lost in the woods. And then eventually she starts kind of disassociating, hallucinating from malnourishment and exhaustion. And Tom she Tom Gordon becomes kind of like a spectral guide to her mm-hmm. on this journey um and there's there's a a figure lurking in the woods that she feels chasing her um and then she finds a a, ultimately finds a path out of the woods after you know a lot of woods drama and uh (laughs) and uh she she throws her walkman at the bear in the style of Tom Gordon, who will throw mm-hmm. a curveball in a 3-0 count, which is a metaphor for doing maybe a reckless but rewarding thing, taking a risk mm-hmm. uh, for big gain. And at the same time, a man who is walking by looking to hunt deer out of season, sees the bear, sees the bear about to eat a girl, shoots the bear, and she's returned to her family. Um, there is, you know, a lot of woodsy adventures, bugs and uh, puking and shitting, diarrhea, lots of diarrhea, a lot of diarrhea. Uh, d- as much diarrhea as you think would be in a story like this, and multiply <laughs> that by about twenty. Turn that diarrhea up to eleven. Um. <laughs> There's a reason why the this was uh, originally going to be a novella. Then he's like, you know what? I gotta add more diarrhea. Originally, <laughs> it was called the girl who hated diarrhea, <laughs> or the girl who loved diarrhea. I mean, they're not here to judge. Yeah, well, she certainly had it enough to to love it. Damn, right. You grew to love it. Maybe she had kind of a Stockholm syndrome thing with <laughs> diarrhea. King um, is famously a, a a fan of the Boston Red Sox. You know, yes. like I thought wrote, you were wrote a book. Say famously, of, a fan, a fan of, of diarrhea. Fan of diarrhea. <laughs> He's kind of a diarrhaniac. <laughs> um, we're. I would like uh, the listeners. Uh, we're going to do a drinking game on the show. Every time the word diarrhea is used, take a shot and... of diarrhea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and t- 
until you yourself have diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's um, I, I didn't want to get too bogged down because the it it honestly the kind of woods adventures like I rem- oh I also read as a as a young person Stephen King's book on writing about mm-hmm. writing oh yeah and f- famously he kind of writes by just like writing down stuff as it occurs to him he's not like yeah. a big outliner and yeah. this book really lends itself to that because like being lost in the woods is kind of a circumstance where you can just be like this happened then this happened then this happened then this happened and then it was over. Right. There aren't a lot of like, int- I mean, there's some philosophical stuff in there. Like there's like, what is God comes up a lot. Yeah. Um, but like mechanically, you know, occasionally you get a glimpse of her family nervous in a hotel room at the, her parents who have been estranged reunited in a non-sexual way for now. Um, and then <laughs> y- you get some kind of glimpses of like, of course, like this is the thing that I was like, yikes. Um where like it's just like a girl lost in the woods and then there's like uh a news report of of like a, a strand that uh, flares up a couple times of like oh someone called in to the police like this guy who owns a van and fucks kids found this girl for sure yeah. so then there's like some weird graphic like talk of child molestation and uh and you're just like whoa like this truly yeah. without that you're like oh this felt so much like reading like hatchet the gary mm-hmm. paulson book that every yeah. uh 10 year old boy read about and made them think that they could live on an island with just a hatchet holy yeah. fuck i forgot all about that book. yeah that i was so convinced i couldn't yeah. live in brooklyn with just a hatchet at this point <laughs> in my life. and i'm a grown man have you ever been lost in the woods or or just lost you know in a in a truly uh you know hopeless sense in maybe not brief- mentally but physically it- in a in a department store briefly, but like very briefly <laughs> as a little kid. I'm sure I remembered it as like, well, I'm going to have to live in this Sears now. And it was like my mom being like, Josh, and me being like, oh, yeah, right. Here I am <laughs> like 18 <laughs> seconds later. But I, I very quickly went to this point of like, mm, OK, well, who's my new family here? <laughs> <laughs> You're like the guy where there's like turbulence on the airplane and immediately starts eating the person next to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just nibbling on a finger and they're like, excuse me? <laughs> oh, it's embarrassing how quickly I give up when there's turbulence. I'm just like, well, here it is. This is it. <laughs> it immediately yep. happens. Strap in. Yep. Um, so I'm going to fight the sky. <laughs> it's over. One, <laughs> one, one, one thing uh, I, I can't help but think about in relation to this is that you know given given king's uh you know pronounced uh fanboyishness for for the the red sox Mm -hmm. and you know i think he even co-wrote a book about he did i I also pitched that as one of the possibilities that we would talk about and that i have not read before yeah i haven't read it either i i know next to nothing about baseball like i remember my like my folks took me to a bunch of texas rangers games when Mm -hmm. i was a kid but that's like when Nolan Ryan was a thing. Sure. Um, you know, I remember I remember that and I remember enjoying going to the games. Uh, but like, I'm just not a sports guy in my adult life. Man. But anyway, this he must have a certain relationship with the Boston Red Sox, right? I think and, so. Well, yeah, you would. Th- I mean, just the, the access that he must have had to write, co-write a book about them. And yeah, you know, he goes to a lot of games and so on and so forth. He's like a big enough celebrity that I imagine 
he's kind of got the run of the place when he goes to see them play, right? I, he's got it. He's they always show him on TV. They're like Stephen King's here, and you're like, show me when he's not here. I think he's, yeah. I think he's the Phantom of Fenway Park. No shit. It's like the it's the East Coast version of Jack Nicholson showing up at Lakers games. Yes. Until well, I, I don't. I guess he doesn't do. That I don't think he's anymore, he's but. there as frequently anymore. But yeah, I think Stephen King is still like there often. And uh, yeah. Which and, so, and, and there's a little there's a little postscript at the end of the book that's like I took some liberties with the Red Sox 1998 schedule. Like I I created favorable yeah. scheduling for the purposes of this fiction narrative, like and when she hears games and when they had a day off and games they won against the Yankees and games they lost against the Yankees for like the sake of this drama. Um but there was a real guy named Flash Gordon because I think he's like the people that read my books don't care about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I grew up a huge Red Sox fan. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. So you're familiar with Thomas Gordon? Yes. Tom Flash Gordon. Gordon, they called him for real. <clears throat> right. I, I yeah. I was about to say, well, isn't Flash? Because I'm I'm looking at his Wikipedia page and mm -hmm. I'm suddenly very enlightened with facts. Um, but the the point I'm trying to get to is that at some point there must have been a phone call uh, between like, I'm going to assume it wasn't email at this point, but there must've been a phone call between Stephen King and Tom Gordon. Where where he's like, like Hey, I kind of wrote this book where you're a character. <laughs> yeah. You're an imaginary friend uh, <laughs> leading this girl through the forest. Like that must've happened. Right. I, do you have to get, it would like, be you? so weird to do this, <laughs> to write this book about a guy who was like, he so what to set the scene tom gordon is maybe excuse me maybe the third most famous player on the the red Sox at this point like it's not like he wrote the book like the girl who loved tom brady where you're like oh right most famous football guy he's like mm -hmm. on like a <clears throat> medium successful red Sox team he he was having a very good season he they'd converted him he was like a starting pitcher that had kind of lost a step as a starter and so they mm -hmm. made him into a closer that he would he would just pitch one to two innings a game at the end of the game and he set the record for saves like successfully closing games in, in i think 1998 um and so but still and so he was like a beloved figure but this was mo vaughn was still on the red sox and he was a beloved player nomar garcia para legendary the guy with the the greatest name to say in a boston accent in the history of names <laughs> so like this was not he was not like a the biggest national star i have i have a question i have a a, a question about this closer business okay. because again i'm not a baseball guy so this is going to be a very stupid question no I'll that's okay you up front if he can come in and close, what's the thinking behind not bringing him in earlier? So great question. The The logic behind a closer and and I don't need to get into middle and late relief philosophy of the current day. It's, <laughs> there's a the whole thing. Some teams now use an opener where they bring in a pitcher that that just pitches like the first couple innings where normally they used to be back in the day there would be just like a big guy like Nolan Ryan and he'd just be like a big guy that pitched nine innings. And they would be like, that's a man, <laughs> you know, and right. that, that was like the, the paradigm for a pitcher. <clears throat> and then they were like, well, why don't we bring in a guy in these high intensity, high leverage situation that just fucking throws his ass off for like 20 pitches a night. And so it, he, you don't have to have the same stamina 
as a starting pitcher, right? Who might throw in the, at that time, 120 pitches in a game, you're right coming off. in to throw 10, 15, 30 pitches, maybe. Um, and, and the idea is also kind of psychologically, mm. you will be ready to come in in this high leverage, high pressure, bottom of the ninth, uh, uh, and, and many cases, top of the ninth, others situation where like everything is on the line and, and usually in a close game already that you're winning is what right. you in a closer to like end the game. So it's like people that had both the kind of like high velocity, often pitches that, that and high intensity pitches and like this kind of closers mindset people would talk about that can like handle that pressure. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and also, also psychologically fucked up for the other team. Like, right. Because right? they're like, yeah, you're you're close to the end. You know, you've had a long game. But uh, guess what? We're bringing in a fucking madman. Yeah. And to throw you're not fire you're straight down. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to face like the, the starting pitcher who's like by this point, like running out of gas. You're not going to face a middle reliever, a guy who comes in and is like good. But like maybe is there to chew up a few innings and try to get keep the game close um you're facing like i mean mariana rivera who is the closer for the yankees at the time mentioned briefly in the novel you would come in to enter sandman and it was like legitimately the other team would be like <laughs> ah shit <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was like it was that. like an intimidating thing and i think <clears throat> it's come a little out of vogue like there were in in kind of the peak of the steroid era, unsurprisingly, there mm-hmm. were guys that would rack up, they were racking up like 70 <laughs> saves and would just come in and like hurl fireballs for like <laughs> 20 pitches. And that I think has come a little out of vogue, but like the um, Edwin Diaz, who's currently the closer for the Mets has like, it's, he's like a beloved relief pitcher and play. It comes in his like uh, entrance music, like really gets the the stadium hyped. And it's like a kind of cool spot to be in uh, it's like a cool intense as, right. as cool and intense as baseball gets i like uh i like imagining you know they've got the regular pitcher out there but they're keeping this other guy like in a cage in another room and they're just <laughs> pumping him full of hgh and you know blasting slayer in the room and the yeah, lights yeah, are yeah. flickering on and off and then they just let him out onto the mound yeah marcellus um, yeah. wallace lets him in <laughs> pride fucking with you yeah (laughs) um but yeah so that is kind of that so so when so there's all this stuff right that's like closer specific like right the the whole thing about like he'll throw a curveball and a 3-0 count which what that means and again sorry if this is facile to anyone but what that means is 3-0 means three balls no strikes and so you expect the pitcher to kind of throw to take a little off it try to get a strike throw kind of a straight pitch right down the middle. And often, uh, unless you're talking about a really aggressive managerial strategy or a really great hitter, you just wait for that pitch. Cause statistically you're going to, you, there's a great chance that you'll just get on base if they don't throw a strike. Right. So the ability, the idea of throwing a curve on a three Oh pitch is like doing this daring thing where you could lose, right. Where if you throw one more ball right. and a curveball is less, predictable it's less um accurate right than a fastball there's a better chance that you'll miss the strike zone and so they're they're basically it's like 
this guy is willing to like do this daring thing and risk it all. And that's when they talk about like God shows up in the ninth inning and like God shows up for closers, which is like (laughs) the funniest, most niche bumper sticker. (laughs) I got to tell you, this is making me very interested in starting to pay attention to baseball. I am learning a lot here today. I feel like baseball to me, because I, I I'll watch baseball, uh, especially the the playoffs. I root, I, and I don't live because I live in New York, but I'm a Red Sox fan, and I don't pay for the like, uh, whatever the Major League Baseball thing is, where you can just watch all your team's game or wherever you are. I do watch and root against the Yankees, which is <laughs> a a damaged New England thing about me. <laughs> Stephen King should write a book about the inside of my horrible fucked up brain. <laughs> it makes me do that. But um, it's kind of like boxing to me where like some of the stuff you read about it eclipses the moment to moment experience mm-hmm. of, right. of the game itself. You know, I don't think it. it's like I think baseball is like if it's not a like enjoyable pastime for you, I don't know that necessarily like if I hadn't grown up with it, I would watch it now and be like, Oh, I'm interested in all this stuff. Um, or I'm seeing all this stuff that I've read about it. We're like, you watch tennis and you're like, they're really going at it the whole time. Right. Yeah. Now I've been to a few games. I grew up in the Bay area and like kind of the heyday of Jose Canseco and the <laughs> A's. And I remember we like, there were a couple class field trips we went on where we saw A's games. I probably saw two or three, um, baseball games in my youth and i can tell you that i was bored out of my fucking mind for every (laughs) single one of them uh and you know i don't give a shit about basketball either but i've been to a couple of basketball games and those are fun i like because there's all like you said there's always something going going on and like a good a good baseball game like the record make setting breaking games are the ones where nothing happens mm-hmm. right my so, um, my fr- yeah. my friend Andy Sanford who's a great comedian has a joke about the perfect game of baseball is no one hits the ball <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. um but the what was i going to say gosh um oh yes i i think basketball i i mean i'm a huge as an adult a huge basketball fan huge nba fan have adopted the wnba's liberty as my one new york team because there's no boston team Mm. and uh but i think hockey gains the most seeing it live versus seeing it on tv Mm. it's like you're like wow they're skating so fast and precisely and i would just watch that for two hours (laughs) yeah i've got a friend who uh she she's a huge hockey fan and and was like trying to get me into hockey a little bit. And I was like all in on that shit. Like once I started learning about it, I was like, yeah, this shit is cool. And I like that, that, that an ass whooping might break out at any any second. Those are some rough and tumble motherfuckers. Yeah. They'll throw hands. Um, yeah, they will. Um, uh, I, I didn't keep up with it, but I meant to, I was like, you know, months ago, I was like, you know what, when this new season starts, I'm going to buy a package and I'm going to watch, this season of hockey and see if there's not like a team I like more than others. Uh, I'd, I'd like to get back to that. Maybe, maybe that'll be my like, you know, middle-aged man thing is I'll, I'll finally get into one sport. There's so another. many more embarrassing things to do as a middle-aged yeah, man. Fuck too. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there are. I just um, like, they, they, now that they sell weed, I, I said this on stage, but now they sell weed in stores. I was like, I'll dabble in edibles. And, and it's like, what a humiliating thing to pick up in your late thirties. Like, <laughs> They shouldn't even let you. There should be like, if you didn't do this in high school, you can't do it now. <laughs> you need the medical card for that. <laughs> one of the one of our uh, friend, the friend of the show, uh, Kamel Nanjiani, mm-hmm. 
he's been on a few times and uh we're we're both you know friendly with him offline but he one day i was i was tweeting about like i had um i had taken something like 200 milligrams oh my god uh, yeah it was a lot it was it was probably a little too much <laughs> um and he he messaged me like l- like legitimately concerned <laughs> And was like, like, what are you? He was like, did you really do this? And I said, yes. And he was like, why would he was just beside himself? And uh, come to find out over the course of this conversation that he, he takes like a five milligram edible and is just blasted. Oh, sure. You know, on sure. on the occasions that he has done it, um, which I didn't get the, you know, if you're taking five milligrams and it's sending you into the stratosphere, clearly this isn't something you do very often. Uh, this is 200 milligrams. That's your equivalent of training to be in a Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll, I will never lose all that weight, but, you know, I'll, I'll go into you the can Olympics build up for that kind of stamina. <laughs> <laughs> do you find uh, the woods to be a spooky place, Josh? Not especially. No. How about at night? More so at night, but that's true of every place. <laughs> there's well, no, there's so sure. few places that I'm like at night. That's when it really starts to feel less spooky. I don't know. Even like uh, even in daylight hours, I find uh, I find a forest to be kind of creepy. Ooh, you know, I, 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 I like I like it. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm a morbid person, but uh, I just find the idea I, I find something fascinating about the idea of of getting lost. And I also, you know, having grown up in the suburbs and always lived in a city uh, my entire life, uh, the idea of being essentially off the grid, unless you've got a cell phone with you or something. um, That is really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, or do you, do you feel like that? Yeah. I mean, especially now um, I should, as somebody who grew up before there was a, uh, a GPS in all of our pockets. Uh, I should be a little bit more comfortable with the adventure of getting lost. Uh, but uh, that terrifies me now. Like I've had moments where I've left my phone at home just to go run an errand. And I'm like, well, what if fucking something happens? You know, like what if I blow a tire? Right. What if, you know, what, what, all this, what if I get lost going to the place <laughs> yeah. three miles away that I know, you know how to get there with my eyes closed. What if you get diarrhea? What if I get diarrhea? Drink. What, what am I going to do? Um, yeah, but no, I, I think there's something about the woods that triggers a, a little fear in me in the same way as like deep water does, mm. where you just know that there are, you're in another uh, biosphere, essentially, where you're not the top of the food chain and anything could be hidden behind the leaves or anything could be hidden under the waves. You know, it's like. Totally. There is that kind of mysterious element to the woods um, that uh, I, I mean, listen, I enjoy a, a nice nature hike as, as much as anybody else. But uh, how many people do we seem to fucking lose to that shit, by the way? Like right now, as we're recording this, uh, like Julian Sands has been missing for two weeks after a hike. You know, it's yeah. like we keep hearing. And it's not good. We and keep I, hearing about all this stuff, and it, like it's a reminder that like nature is not your friend. Yes, totally. You know? And yeah. I don't. I'm not like I can handle the woods. <laughs> I just don't. I'm. It is scary in a way that's not creepy to me. You know what mm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. like the way a saw is scary. Where you're like, this has a power. <laughs> there's a power to this that could hurt me. 
but I'm not like I don't see a saw and I'm like, (laughs) right? Yeah, if you don't respect it, then uh, yes, uh, bad things can happen. Yes, that's true. Deep deep water is good because I'm not like creeped out by deep water, but I am like, oh yeah, this this is not. I, I, this isn't a home game for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is sharks. Sharks get to bat in the bottom of the night. <laughs> How about yeah, me throwing a Walkman isn't going to help me get out of this situation. Mm-hmm. I don't even I don't even like camping, honestly. No, same. I like, like I like a hike. But yeah. 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 That's the thing with camping. It's like, yeah, we'll go on a hike and we'll we'll post up here for the night and we'll make a fire. And like all of this stuff sounds great on paper. But the reality of it is like you're sleeping on the rocks and dirt. You know, I guess there's a thin veneer of whatever, whatever the lining of your tent is, you know, but it's still uncomfortable. You know, Um, I I like to, you know, uh, I keep the air conditioning in my place, like at at an absurdly low temperature. Yeah. And so anything above, say, 68, I have a trouble. I have trouble <laughs> like sleeping in. I mean, I fucking we live in Texas. Yeah. Like I go camping here and I'm just sweating balls and miserable the entire time. I'll go yeah. this far. I This is even more. This is embarrassing. When if I'm at a hotel and the pillow is too thick and fluffy, it fucks up my <laughs> neck for a whole day. <laughs> I'm my body is so frail it can't handle amenities. Everything has to be at such a specifically calibrated, uh, such a specifically calibrated place, or else it doesn't work. What do mm. you What do you do in those situations when you have a, a pillow that is too fluffy? I have I've slept with like a, a folded up sweatshirt under my head, mm. or I'll if it's depending on the kind of squishability of the pillow not to use right. a, a you know an industry term but um <laughs> i will kind of smush the stuffing to one side and like mm. kind of keep a thinner part under my head um or i'll just i'll, I'll tough it out because i'm a grown man you know you give me <laughs> sure. a fluffy pillow i'll sleep on it yeah i will is it gonna <laughs> feel good no but i'll gut it out like tom gordon but you, <laughs> <laughs> but you would never go no pillow right no, no pillow's too little. I I, I got to put something. I think I've done towel in a pillowcase before. <laughs> that's just a fucking dish rag. <laughs> yeah, that's like how the baby mob beats you up. Just a towel in a pillowcase. Hmm. I, I need a little support in my pillow. Like uh, my girlfriend's that that way. Like if you could like give her a napkin for a pillow, she'd be happy. <laughs> you know, she, she she doesn't like any of the. The big fluffiness. I fuck with I, multiple pillows. I don't, and I don't mind. I don't mind coming out and saying that on all the under your head, all under my head. Whoa. Here's what I do. I have a, this is this is a very scientific process that I go through. Yeah, I have a flat pillow. This is my current arrangement. Okay, I have a very flat pillow, and that is sort of the the border pillow between the mattress and the uh, the bed that I've been sleeping in lately. Uh, which is a really <laughs> odd way to phrase man. that, but I'm I'm going through a fucking divorce, so okay. you know, uh, you know, I'm living with some friends, and they have a guest room, and uh, there's no headboard on the bed, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got this this base level pillow, like the base coat of pillows, that sort of rests on the mattress, but also kind of curves a little bit up on the wall. Then I have a mid grade pillow, which I stack just so, so it's it's sort of in an angle. Okay. And then I have a third pillow, very fluffy. This one, this one rests on top of all of that, but scooched down like toward the mattress. 
Then I lay on top of that and that is perfect. And are you sleeping me. on your back? No, I'm a side sleeper. Okay. I mean, I can sleep on my back, but I've already got to be asleep. If you know what I mean? Like, I <laughs> yeah, can't, yeah, yeah. you can't start on your back, but you can roll. Yeah, no, your back absolutely not. Like, um, I have, man, I have really gotten my sleep down lately to a, to a science, you know, I'll take, um, one of our sponsors is Lumi Labs. I'll take this opportunity to promote them once again. Uh, they make a D9 uh, edibles, like gummies, uh, which are not technically illegal in all states, so we can advertise them on the show. But I'll take one of those. And then um, a thing I I realized, uh, I've always been a big fan of David Sedaris. Yeah. And um, so you'll sleep on top of one of his books. <laughs> yeah. Well, on, on top of David him, Sedaris actually. Yeah. A- I, I anime sleep on body top of pillow. Him. Yeah. <laughs> no, but his, there's, <laughs> he's my waifu. Uh, there is something <laughs> about uh, his voice that I, I just only recently discovered in the last few months knocks me the fuck out. Yeah. So at night, I take my, my medications, uh, I lay down. I throw on an audiobook from David Sedaris and I am out. I shit you not within five minutes. It's like, bam, every Amazing. time. Yeah. And I finally, this is how I finally figured out what ASMR is. Cause that guy's voice just, he has a lovely voice. Like this isn't a thing about him being boring at all. It's a very evocative voice. It's just, there's some sort of tone to it. And just recently I fucking, I downloaded a couple of other audiobooks. Like um, I got the King in Yellow, which is like a, you know, a classic horror short story collection uh, that, you know, kind of served as the basis for the, the weird cult brother and sister in True Detective season one. Right. They called them, they, they were they talking about the Yellow King, right? Yes. Um, and making flowers and what have you. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I got that. Um, I got uh, Stephen King's The Institute and tried listening to it. Uh, I've tried a bunch of different things that um, that are not David Sedaris and they do not put me to sleep. I just stay mm. I stay awake listening to them. <laughs> tried Amy Sedaris. That doesn't work. <laughs> I've tried, tried all David the Sedaris. Cross. David yeah. right, David Crosby, <laughs> rest in peace. <laughs> He's up there playing music, smashing watermelons with Gallagher. Yeah, Gilbert Godfrey didn't put me to sleep as much as I tried. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, but uh, that's I, I've yeah I've gotten it down now where I can. I now know I have a methodology for falling asleep almost instantly if I just do these things. The pillows, yeah, they're a big thing in that. I can't get any of this if I go camping. In the no. World. You know, the best I'm going to get out of camping is like a hot dog on a stick that's been cooked over a fire and maybe some s'mores or something and some shitty coffee in the morning. I just I think I'm too much of a prima donna for that shit. Hot dog on a stick sounds good, though. But you're not going (laughs) to sleep. You're going to sleep on it. That's not a substitute for a pillow. (laughs) No, but it's part of the camping experience. Yes. yes, And, you know. And it's not worth it for all the for a single mosquito bite isn't worth a hot dog on a stick (laughs) right? experience. I I am so soft. This is proving that uh, the King cast hosts are very, very soft boys here. But um, uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm 100 percent with you. I I went camping as a kid. 
uh, hated it then. Uh, I love the idea of it. Like I love like the sure. Lord of the Rings thought of going on an mm-hmm. adventure and camping out and and whatever. I love the thought of it, but in all practical executions, it's just a miserable experience for me. Uh, uh, so I'm I'm totally there with with you guys. I I you know poor you know uh, Trisha fucking survives her ordeal. I don't think I would have. So fuck no. no. I would have no. given up almost instantly. <laughs> Same, especially you fall down that first thing. Yes, and you're like, ah, oh, my shirt's ripped. Forget it. Yep. And she I'm has going- a game, she has a Game Boy on her. I'd be fucking. I'd fuck around with the Game Boy until rescue arrived, and if it didn't, I would just die there playing. Honestly, fucking- you might have survived longer if you had just instead of starting to look for help, started playing Game Boy. <laughs> yes, you just sat down where you were. Yeah. Actually, that ge- that gives me an idea for a good question, Josh. Let's say you are lost in the woods. You don't have a phone, but you have all the things that Trisha has. Okay. In her pack, uh, in this novel, uh, n- novella, um, novel. What are you doing? So my big quibble with what the way she started off was that you got to eat the tuna sandwich first. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Of all the things in your pack, she had like an egg and Twinkies last. Those go forever. Mm-hmm. She had an she started with a hard boiled egg, which I get it perishable. But tuna sandwich, that's like that just sounds like you're enticing a bear to come eat you with one of their other <laughs> favorite foods. Also, chances are it's got mayo in it and yep. that shit's going to go off. Like it's going to turn so fast. Quick. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that was my, my huge quibble. I, I think as soon as I realized I didn't know where I was, you set up some kind of camp. I think I would probably, one thing that I am impressed at age nine, she didn't do was be like, I've seen this on TV. I'm going to start a fire with two sticks, waste a couple hours on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think I would play it much more stationary. You got some snacks. Would, would you, would you have done that at age nine though? I mean, that's one thing you have to consider with all of the things she does. This is still a nine year old. It's not but somebody she, who's had life experience. Her you know? big move, right? Was she was like Little House on the Prairie. I see water. I'm going to walk along the water. That's what they would do on the prairie. And yeah. I don't think I would have had that kind of faulty. Like, I think I would have had a less destructive but more embarrassing impulse. Like, I think I would have gathered a bunch of sticks and like put them in a circle. And <laughs> one would have come back and be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is a bonfire. And like, with what fire? And I'm like, I was going to figure that out later. <laughs> I was going to bang two rocks together till they sparked. Does that not work? You want your Tom Hanks and castaway moment. Mm-hmm. You're just screaming that you Dude, made fire. I'm, I'm going to befriend the most spherical thing I can find. <laughs> well, one thing we did learn from castaway is that there has to be airflow to the friction in order for the flame to mm-hmm. catch. Right. Like I've 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 seen Castaway. I don't know how many fucking times. I love that movie. Um, I understand this on a on a scientific level, but I think if you put me, you dump me in the woods with plenty of wood, you know, and maybe even you know a knife or a hatchet or something to shape it in the way that I needed to. I'm still not convinced that I could get that spark going, Sam. Mm. I think yeah. I would have I would have done the cosplay of lighting a fire. That I would have like <laughs> pantomimed a fire, but it it was not it would not be happening with my skill set. <laughs> I I will say one thing that I would have done that Trisha did, and this was I I had forgotten because I haven't read this book in 
probably over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got to it today, I had no idea. I had no recollection of how prominently the jingle for giant glass auto glass <laughs> yeah. uh, replacement service fig- figures into this <laughs> novel. And it, I think similarly to Trisha, the one eight hundred fifty four giant theme would be stuck in my head the whole time. <laughs> it is a real song. Do you know the jingle? Oh yeah, of course. Are I you do. prepared to deliver the jingle yeah. on the thing? You know, I didn't walk into this <laughs> unprepared. <laughs> You think I would have brought this up if I couldn't bring the receipts? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not setting myself up to fail. I do it at karaoke. I don't, but I could. It's like, it's like, who do you call when your windshield's busted? Call Giant Glass. 1-800-54-GIANT. Done right, done fast. Well, wherever you are. Where number one eight hundred fifty four giant. There might be more. Then it like there's a key change like one eight hundred. It's uh they really go for it. And another notable thing about Giant Glass, longtime Boston Red Sox sponsor, is that they frequently have banner ads behind home plate on, oh. which is great positioning. Except that from many camera angles, depending on whether the batter is left-handed or right-handed, they block out the GL and it says uh-huh. giant ass. It happens all the time. <laughs> this is no the kind idea. of insight I bring yeah. to a podcast. And this is precisely the sort of insight that this pro- podcast provides. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that, folks. So, look, you want giant knowledge of and diarrhea all day great, long on the King's mm-hmm. ass. You want knowledge of commercial jingles from the greater Boston area circa 1998. Yeah. You bring in Gondelman. <laughs> it's interesting now that they're a sponsor of the, the socks. Like they're they're and they're right behind. Like, of course that makes sense. You know, of yeah. course that King would then write it into it. Right. Um, better than the general. I don't like the general commercials. Yeah. Oh, he would make such a horrible guide through the woods too. <laughs> You'd be like, why couldn't I have gotten Shaq? Couldn't you have sent Shaq? <laughs> this motherfucker, his his helmet is covering his eyes. He can't see anything. This I gotta walk. He's gotta walk him. I, I knew he had military experience. This is like the twenties. He's <laughs> <laughs> like World War One. It's just like a if, monopoly guy playing yeah, a general. This is right. terrible. Oh, it stinks. Shaq's big. He'll help you out. Yeah, he could. He could see above the tree line. You know. Yes, and I say that. Not just like two random Shaq and the general, longtime friends and collaborators. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. they go back so. so. Yeah, mm-hmm. they went uh, to LSU so, together. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've watched the the show, Josh, but reading this now, uh, I couldn't help but get Yellow Jackets vibes. Oh yeah, hell yeah. Re- rereading uh, this, yep. and especially when Trisha gets to a point where post diarrhea drink 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 yep um you know she's gets a little a little loopy and she starts seeing things like cloaked figures yep. and 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 uh she attributes them as different gods and there's a whole other uh avenue we can go down talking about the faith in this book um uh, but one of the one of the gods that she sees is the god of the lost, and it's this creepy figure. And and for whatever reason, all I could see in my mind's eye was like the girls around an effigy, you know? And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Jackets, Real know? yellow jackets energy. Yeah. And I think that that is the kind of I imagine the longer you're in the woods without 
companionship or like isolated, the more that kind of stuff starts starts to take on like meaning and and its own life, right? She's like, there's like this unseen figure. There's the God of the Lost, which has to do with bees. Um, she, there's like a lot of uh, bees that are a problem in this. But yeah, mm-hmm. it feels uh, yellow jackets wasps, rules, yeah. and and I yeah. don't. I don't think I would like getting lost in the woods from these two no. pieces of fiction. No, I'd much rather get get uh, stranded castaway style on a, on a desert island because at least you then you have the screensaver backdrop, right? Yeah, so. you know the parameters, right? Right. You're like, here's my buddy Wilson. Yeah, that I'm but gonna live under this tree. Yeah, but but there's no hope of like finding a road on an yes. island. You know, yes. you're you're just fucked from the get go on an island. Yeah, I, I wouldn't like that at all. I don't know. Like I mean, it wouldn't be good. The woods, though, man, to, you know, on an island, you know, it's going to eat you. If there's something mm-hmm. that's going to eat you, it's going to make itself known pretty early on. Yeah. A dinosaur or a polar bear. You never <laughs> Depending know. on what kind of island. Yes. If one, it's one of the melting polar ice caps, right? That's what we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, no, this definitely has a Yellow Jackets vibe reading it now. Um, yeah. And, it makes me wish that uh, when we had uh, uh, Ashley and Bart, the the creators on the show, that, that I this was more fresh on my mind, or I could bring that up because I know that they're big King fans. So, oh mm-hmm. yeah, I wonder how much of Yellow Jackets was kind of inspired by some of the the weird culty religious-y angles that this book goes down. Hmm. I thought that stuff was like kind of fun and interesting. I some of it I thought was like a little layered on. But some of it I thought was like, oh, this really does um, add a little texture and like heft to the the story that was just like, girl gets bitten by a lot of bugs. <laughs> girl gets bitten by more bugs. Girl falls downhill. Yes. Gir- girl is uh, being constantly stalked by something in the woods that we find out later is a bear and or maybe this god of the lost, yeah. the supernatural thing. Diarrhea, 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 god. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, drink, drink, drunk. Mm-hmm. Yes, but that's um, something that I'd like to point out, though, is that, uh, you know, King could have very well kept this ambiguous, uh, but, you know, he makes pains at the end to have the hunter who rescues her go, you know, it's kind of weird. There was that bear, but it looked it looked different for a second, you know, for somebody who was completely out of it, who's in, in his right mind, who isn't dying of pneumonia mm-hmm. and exposure and, you know, dehydration. You know, somebody who goes, oh, yeah, and I see I seem to have noticed maybe this might be the God of the Lost as well. You know, yeah. he doesn't say it exactly that way, but he's, he says it's like, oh, yeah, no, there's some supernatural shit going on in them woods. Yeah, it w- I, I like that kind of strain of it, the the religious yeah. stuff, because there's a lot of God stuff that's like from yeah. all sorts of different um, angles. Right. There's like this God of the Lost and then there's her dad's thing of like the subaudible right. as, as like a, a kind of spiritual force. And then there's, I think maybe as importantly is like the, the God of the sport God that you point to when you win, yep. which he brings up as like a Tom Gordon specific thing, right? He's yeah. Tom Gordon's of, God, right? Yeah. Uh, Tom Gordon. And <laughs> he brings, it's like very intentional of like yeah. bringing up, cause he's not the only athlete that kind of points religiously upward after like winning a game, but it is part of one facet of his, um, of, of his 
athletic life, his professional life and anything like that. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, at the end, Trisha in the hospital does the little point and her dad's like, she's all right. Uh, which I think is sweet. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, uh, to the because the dad's written as an as an atheist and like when she questions him and the flashbacks they talk about it because this is kind of a little bit like king doing his take on uh there's no atheists in foxholes you yes. know where like where she's like i understand my logical brain probably agrees with my dad that there is no no god out there but now that i'm in this shit i don't find any comfort in mm-hmm. in the subaudible which is what his yeah, her, her and she's it. kind and, of annoyed yeah. by his answer, right, about the yes. subaudible. She's like, all right, dad, whatever. And, like, yeah, and so she, like, legit, like, has spiritual moments on this where yeah. she's trying to connect with God and pleading to a God that she might or might not really believe in, but it gives her comfort to do it. You know, it's uh, it, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting, especially with somebody who, you know, an author that we pointed out many times on the show Typically, when religion is is folded into uh, a character's progression in one of his stories, that character is a very bad person. <laughs> so, <laughs> but this uh, is like very probing, right? Like, or like <laughs> seeking, like seeking meaning. I, which right. I think is like, it, but but it's also there are like a couple of the little bits of it feel like one of the religion things feels very like like late nineties Carlin of like what if there is a God, but he's not a Red Sox fan. So who are you thinking yeah. when you win? And you're like, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's like yeah. a couple of things like that too. Like these little humor flourishes that yeah. feel like so of the time, like she sees a frog and she does the bud wise or yep. commercial. Yep. Thing. Yep. And yep. I was like, Oh my God, what a hilarious, like carbon dating moment. And, th- <laughs> and then there's a fictional, R&B group called Boys to the Max M-A-X-X <laughs> yep <laughs> and it's I like truly was like okay boomer <laughs> when we hit yeah. that boys it's um, like um, it's like uh, the the Bob's Burger are they real no they're not real um, the yeah the uh, first hit on Google is the boy the girl who loved Tom Gordon for Boys to the Max um <laughs> It's like the Bob's Burgers boy band Boys for Now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing uh, I want to bring up is this, you know, and I nodded to this in the intro, the the idea that this is allegedly becoming an adaptation directed by Lynn Ramsey. Um, For any of our listeners who might not be uh, familiar with uh, Lynn Ramsey's work, she is a an extremely talented director who works very rarely, you know, it's like every once in a, in a long while you will get a Lynn, Lynn Ramsey movie. You know, she did Morven Caller. She did, uh, we need to talk about Kevin. She did, you were never really here. Um, she famously walked off the production of Jane got a gun, uh, some years ago because she got in a fucking argument with producers who, apparently wanted to change the ending and she was like, no, I don't want to do that. And, uh, so she just left. Yeah. Um, wow. <clears throat> like literally just walked off set one, like, or I, I think it was like three days into filming or something like that. It was just like, fuck this. I'm out. Wow. So this woman, uh, does not fuck around is, is the point. And her movies yeah. have been, you know, she's been nominated for British Academy, uh, like the, the British, uh, equivalent of the Oscars and, you know, we need to talk about Kevin and um, 
I think you never really hear we're in competition for the Palm to Ore at Can. Wow. Uh, just a, a fucking powerhouse. But this was announced two years ago, and we have heard nothing since. My suspicion is that we're not getting this movie. Um, but my my question here is, do you think this would make for a good movie? Mm. It's tough. So much I, of it is internal, right? Yeah, so much of it. And it's a lot of like, I think in a book, you can get away with like a little more talking to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, when like, when you're not hearing it and actually f- seeing a physical person being like, how am I going to get myself out of this one? Uh, when it's just on the page. But I do feel like it is much more literary than it is mm. filmic. I would point out that... Gerald's game, which is almost entirely an internal Stephen King novel. Mm-hmm. You know, have you, did you read Gerald's game? Uh, I don't Josh? know that I, I don't think I have. You know what it's about? No. Okay. It's about a, a woman and her husband. They go out to like a cabin in the middle of the no, uh, of nowhere uh, for like a sexy weekend. Okay. And the husband like right off the bat pulls out a, ha- a, a set of handcuffs Oh, wait. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, he almost immediately has a heart attack. And so it's her just left chained to this bed. And like, how does she get out of it? That's that's the gist of it. Mike Flanagan, another friend of the show, uh, he made a like like when they announced that movie, uh, I think anyone who was a Stephen King fan was like, oh, this Flanagan guy fucked up. There's no way to make that into you know, a movie that isn't a disaster. You know, it's it's basically one long internal monologue and it deals with some really heavy shit on on top of all that, you know, like child sexual abuse and, you know, uh, domestic violence and, you know, a, a, a yeah. number of things. Um, and and Mike, uh, who, who later did pulled off the same fucking magic trick with with Dr. Sleep, turned it into just an outstanding film. If you haven't seen Gerald's game, I, I would highly recommend it. Uh, you're Josh, you're probably going to want to avert your eyes during a, a certain scene or two, okay. which you'll, you will definitely see coming, yep. but um, it's, it's excellent. Uh, that would lead me to believe that you could do an adaptation like this, but also I can't imagine what that would look like, but also I couldn't I, imagine I guess, what Gerald's game would look I like. I guess mm. there would, I mean, the thing about it to me, I think it would have to be a lot of like flashback. There would, you would really have to beef up the, the sections of like the search party looking in the wrong places and giving up the family tension between the parents as they come together. Right. So I think, I think you're right. I guess it, I, I, I was thinking small mindedly about it where you, you would have to kind of invert the focus right and have less solo woods wandering and more like the drama around this and that way the the stuff where like a little girl imagines a bunch of bees are talking to her feels like a less prompt like you're not just watching that for 90 minutes Mm -hmm. well i mean it is kind of built in to the whole story that she's having these she's seeing this baseball player. So you're getting, that's probably 
your answer there, like to make Tom Gordon her Wilson, right? But yeah, one that is actually that's how she's having conversations with herself. Yeah, uh, is she's having conversations with another totally, thing, which is a little bit of what kind of Flanagan's solution was totally to to uh, getting out of mm-hmm. uh, the main character's head. And Gerald's game was where she's having conversations with literally herself or her dead husband, or you know, seeing things and having interactions with you know other things that might or might not actually be there during the uh the run of it um so i think that that's i think it's possible and i think that as long as you get a really good uh young uh actress in there like the this could be very much a a star making thing uh i think that they're it's it's a tall order to make this work but i think if they if lynn ramsey or whoever the fuck does do this you know, I think you could up the tension with the bear uh, yeah. tracking her yep. a bit. Like, I think that there's a lot of little things you can do to kind of turn the screws totally. uh, on the audience. Yeah. And, they, and I, I could actually see it working. It just needs to be the, handled very delicately. And the tricky part is, right, like with um, with Castaway, you had, uh, you know, Tom Hanks, who'd won... You, uh, two-time Oscar-winning actor. And this, you're really right. putting so much burden on, like, a very young actor. Yes. A very young performer, which is, like, it's, like you said, you really need to cast that carefully because it's a it's a tall order. Yeah, they're going to be in every goddamn scene. <laughs> you know? And 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 playing against, like, you know, a, sometimes nobody, sometimes somebody. Right. Hmm. The, them and the elements and, and yeah whatnot. yeah i think it could it's work intri- uh, you yeah. know now i'm wondering like do i want to see a child melt down in the woods for two hours like i don't man it's it's a trickier adaptation i think than it might initially seem to be hmm. like the well, reality of it would be i i think the reality of it might be harsher than the reading of it if that makes sense as as an adult i feel like it is a scarier book than it is to read when you're a kid even because i read it in my teens when obviously this character is nine i think Mm -hmm. and but you're still like a kid and you're like yeah you read about kids going on adventures all the time but like i think when you're an adult reading about like a nine-year-old lost in the woods and at the mercy of the elements and like hurt and sick it is like a it's a harder thing to watch even right like it's it's Right. You it, it feels so perilous in a way that like when you're a kid you're just like yeah, I watch a cartoon where like a kid uh lives alone in a in space or whatever. Right. Hmm. Well, I'll be curious to see if it ever gets made. Yeah. Um, you know, George Romero was going to do it at one point and then mm-hmm. he un- you know, sadly passed away. I do think though that if I was going to pick between those two, between Romero and Ramsey directing it, I think we have a, we would have a better shot of the version of it that I would like to see through Ramsey, because I think she's a little more impressionistic and would probably be willing to, I think she would lean more into the abstract elements of it or, or Mm. find those elements in a way that Romero might not have. I mean, right. this is all hypothetical. Who fucking knows what what George would have would have done with it? But right. um, I, yeah, that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm shaking out on that. Uh, well, there's like a reality to to Ramsey stuff too. That like, especially, you know, uh, thinking of her more recent 
uh, more recent work, that uh, Joaquin Phoenix movie. Um, That's you're, you're never, never really here. here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's just, there's something about how she can live in a moment in a way that feels way more right for a story of somebody lost in the woods. You know what I mean? Like right. I could see her doing this, you know, and kind of, you know, I, I, it might be an odd comparison, but like making this her revenant, you know, where you can kind of hmm. hit that tone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe it's not so odd of a thing. Cause that's all about, you know, man versus wilderness and fighting a bear and shit. And, uh, <laughs> and this is, uh, you know, a young girl with diarrhea, you know, with mm-hmm. diarrhea imagine the revenant the classic was, the classic storytelling trope of girl versus diarrhea <laughs> you know uh they say that leonardo dicaprio gave himself diarrhea every day on set of the revenant in order i saw him eating all that raw meat i wouldn't be surprised i know you're saying this is a joke but he probably did yeah that's that's probably it true feels like, it's so funny this is another tangent but like when the when actors like do all that extreme stuff right it's like weight loss weight gain but then it's like they really put their uh their their co-stars through hell like being in character and it's never like yeah they give himself diarrhea every day right. <laughs> it's, it's like the character always had diarrhea so he always had diarrhea <laughs> like, a, like a thing on the hollywood reporter that's like this man was blowing up the bathroom. Yeah, Leonardo every twenty minutes on set. He was in to to heighten the feeling of having been in the woods. Leonardo DiCaprio wiped his ass with only leaves for three months, <laughs> with only poison ivy. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think we're about at the end of this. Unless is there something in, either we all want to talk about in relation to Tom mm. Gordon? Let me see if there's anything I missed. Um, got to talk to the Budweiser frogs. Giant glass mm-hmm. jingle. We hit Diarrhea. that. We made a lot of notes. Yes. yes. Um, God. Uh, oh, <laughs> one little thing that there's a lot of like a lot made of kind of the cursing of like this little girl swearing and what words she will say and what words she won't mm-hmm. say. And there's like some cutesy stuff. Like she, there's one little bit where she thinks the word embarned instead of embalmed i believe mm. it's like kind of a cute little bit that he's doing with her internal monologue sure. um a word that keeps coming up is sugar ted yep as like kind of a son of a and my only other association with that <laughs> is mel gibson's yeah. tirade when he got pulled over for drug driving to the point that it kept coming up to the point that i looked it up to be like which was this influenced by that and it was not that was 2006 mm. but i was oh, I mel gibson's a huge I fan you, I, I stupidly thought you meant like i looked up mel gibson in his drunk driving arrest, and there was no mention made of the oh, girl who Tom Gordon. <laughs> he was, but not there is a mention fan. made of diarrhea. Oddly, <laughs> he's like, "How's the cop sugar tits?" And is like, "What? I'm quoting literature." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Stephen King. Look him up. Read a book. You stupid fucks. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. I I I don't really have any other response to that <laughs> uh, i do want to bring up that uh, my revisit of this like most of the times i revisit king is uh for the show i uh hit it via the audiobook in the late Anne Heche uh narrated oh my god one. uh and i gotta say her particular brand of 
I, uh, Tread lightly now. <laughs> yes, yeah, so her, her particular uh, reading is is actually really well suited for this, and she's one of the people who kind of gives it her all. Mm. And so that's really like apparent here because there's a lot of times where um, like Trish is in her mind and she's like yelling at herself or yeah. frustrated at herself. And she what Anne H does in the reading is she'll like you can like tell audibly she steps away from the microphone and is just full throat screaming. Wow. Those things. And like so she's going in the extra mile. No shit for this and i'm just like wow this is uh you know it, it was more when i saw that Anne h narrated i'm like well this is gonna be an adventure one way or another and uh and i gotta say i think that she does a pretty good job i, I don't know what the consensus is in the audiobook community of if whether or not she's a good uh audiobook reader but you but enjoyed it yeah i did i liked it a lot right now cool. josh I'll, t- I'll tell you a fun story about Anne h's cameo on this show okay uh we've we've told it a bazillion i mean there's and no heard sense like yeah. dragging it back out on the show again. Um, but you'll, you'll enjoy it. Um, if that's, if that's all we have, I have, I have, uh, two things to say. One, Josh, I, I want to challenge you, uh, to watch and maybe even read Gerald's game. And okay. Come back at some point. I, okay. I would be very, very curious to talk to you about that particular story, especially in relation to the conversation we just had about, uh, Tom Gordon. Yeah. And um and share secondly, a lot of DNA those two books, yeah. Yes. And and secondly, uh where can people find you? Where are this will probably air uh second week of February? Okay. Fesby? Does that make Got sense? It. Yes. Uh mid February for sure. Mid February. Cool. So uh if you have, you know, um tour stops you want to promote, um where can people find you? All of that shit you have you have the floor please go into self promo mode. Okay, sure. Um, I think that the best place to find I joshgondelman.com, my website, but that has tour dates. I, I don't have a ton coming up. I'm going to be on the, the Joko cruise in March, which will be really fun. Um, with a bunch of cool artists. If, if that's like a thing that is yeah. in your world, um, For friend of the show. You at all, wait, well, hold on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mallory's doing that. Yeah. Oh no shit. Open Mike Eagle. Uh, a man river butcher. It's like a cool, lineup um yeah they do like lots of musicians lots of podcasters yeah. and stuff our invite must have gotten lost in the mail <laughs> yeah disgusting if you um, if you happen to run into mallory Romero, d- definitely introduce yourself I'll say, hey yeah you'll um, you'll know her if you see her she is very striking um okay. and uh she's a regular on this show and uh you you would love her um Excellent. i'm excited to to meet her I, I gotta ask are you are you at all trepidatious about doing a cruise um, just like the idea of being on the the water. Yes, because of the pandemic. Yeah, I'm. I, well, I'm very pandemic anxious still. Anyway, so like this is no more than most things. Honestly, like I'm. I've right been on. flying a lot. I've been. That's true. Know, yeah. So I've. I'm like okay. This I and I think this cruise above other cruises seems to be taking this seriously and like trying oh, cool. to be careful and stuff. And like, I've already gotten an email about like the COVID protocols and whatnot. So like, good um, to hear. that makes me, me feel good. You know, you go into a comedy club and they're like, uh, some places they're like, don't come if you're sick. And then other places are like, you can sneeze in the comedian's mouth if you want, <laughs> as long as you pay for two drinks. <laughs> and and can, can, I interject some... sticks. <laughs> yeah. can I interject something here? Um, I would, I just, I, I feel like I'm going to name drop here, but I, I'm, talked a little bit before we started recording about how next month for my birthday, I'm going out to New York 
And one of the things that I have is, is I have a friend who is close with Colbert's assistant. So I was able mm-hmm. to snag some uh, Colbert show Fine. seats through mm-hmm. that. Uh, and for during that trip. So I'm really excited and going to go see him, you know, taping of, of uh, late night or whatever the fuck his show is called. Um, I'm going to go see Colbert do his thing. And uh, on the invite, it's the first time in a year and a half since like the vaccine started rolling out that it actually said, Hey, bring your, uh, bring a proof of vaccination going into this thing. New- and I felt like, like, Oh my God, I'm actually going to get to have to show my card. It's like, just New- talk about things that I'm so used to the world having just, I guess all at once decided that, you know, the COVID stuff is done. Like yeah. it's nice every once in a while to run into the, Oh yeah. It's still important to, there are a uh, couple of places in New yeah. York that still check. And I think a lot of like TV production stuff because they, the unions I think are still pretty rigorous about like mm. on set stuff. Mm, and so right. it makes, makes sense. sense. But like, there's a couple of venues in New York that still ask to see vaccine cards and stuff, which is like heartening for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No shit. Um, I would definitely, I would definitely want that. Yeah. Security blanket. It's wild. Um, um, oh, so I'll be on, on, on the cruise, which I'm very excited about. I have a stand-up special called People Pleaser that is available. It's free for Prime members. It's also free on, I think, Tubi at this point. Mm. Um, and nice. it's every, anywhere else for rent. Like if you're international, I think Vimeo might be the best place to find it. Um, I have a book called Nice Try. Uh, a newsletter where I write pep talks every week called That's Marvelous, joshgondelman.substack.com. And that I also send out tour dates every um, every week that you'll see them in there. Um, I right think on. those are most of the plugs. And you can find me. Um, I'll be accidentally heading towards the New Hampshire-Canada border. Yes. Um, <laughs> wandering through the woods <laughs> with my... Flash Garden number 36 t-shirt jersey torn to shreds. We 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 hope you escape that encounter uh, Thank safely you. and that a hunter intervenes before you can be killed off by a bear. But By a bear that's mad that I threw my Walkman at him. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for being here today. Uh, this is instantly one of my favorite episodes of the show, and I, I sincerely hope you will come back. This was Thank you. Of course. I would love that. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. Many thanks to Josh Gondelman. I know, Scott, this one was uh, particularly a favorite of yours of recent. Oh, yeah. I love this episode. And Josh is just uh, so much fun to talk to. We will definitely be having him back somewhere up the road. And he finally picked the title that people have been on our ass to cover for pretty much the length of this show, as long as the show's been on the air. I know. Uh, And we just need somebody to pick Doom McKee. We needed Dolores Claiborne. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's There's a few of them. That people have been asking for. We, uh, you know, as per usual, the guests get to choose. So, you know, we're we're waiting on some of these titles just as much as y'all are. Believe me, if we could discuss Duma Key instead of, say, I don't know, Pet Cemetery again, I would be <laughs> delighted. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed that all of those come to pass. We got this one. We can get all of them. Yeah, I'm a little, uh, uh, I, I'm excited, but also there it's a little bit of homework for me because my memory of what happens in Duma Key is fucking next to zero. So that one's going to have to be a full on reread for me. And that's a big old book. Yeah. So me whoever too. picks it, I hope they give us uh, plenty of, of lead time on it. Yeah. We'll need. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in the same boat on that one. I only read it once, like when mm-hmm. it came out and I 
couldn't tell you hardly anything about it. So yeah, in my memories, I didn't like it very much. Uh, but it's the reception of that book in particular has been growing over the years. The fandom of it, anyway. So it there we we get a lot of people like saying that low key, it's one of the the unsung Stephen King. Uh, novels, yeah, maybe so. maybe um, with the benefit of age and wisdom, we will uh, we will enjoy it more. Yeah, I be, sure. I remember being kind of cool on it as well. So. We'll find out, hopefully. Yes, someday. Someday our Duma Key Prince will come. Or Princess, you don't know. Yeah. Um, so speaking of of, uh, of kind of grown-up adult looking at, at uh, Stephen King books, uh, the next week's episode is going to be 11-22-63. That will be, uh, I think, our second time we've, we've tackled this yes. one. Yes, yes. We covered it with Tim Heidecker. That's right. Um, I think about midway through last year, somewhere in there. Uh, and weirdly enough, like that, I expected that that one getting Tim Heidecker on the show was going to be uh, just like this, you know, circus of of stuff. But like it, as with what happens mostly with comedians, I found is that it's uh, uh, you can't guarantee that they're going to come on and want to be uh, a laugh a minute. Like even when right. Bill Hader was on, like it was very, you know, he was excited, but it wasn't right. it wasn't, uh, you know, an SNL sketch for an hour and a half. Um, really? Then I say really, that, but then we had James Austin Johnson do Trump for five minutes, you know, talking yeah, about Dark Tower. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but we have, our, but, yes. but this version, the the new one, it's a, a pretty funny episode, I think, isn't it? It is. I, I think it is indeed. And it's, uh, I can give you some hints on who the guest is. We will announce as usual via our Twitter page on, uh, ne- on Monday. Uh, but if you want to guess in the, the lead up to it, you can take these hints. Uh, he is a director. He is the first time uh, King cast appearer um, and has directed movies that I'm mostly sure that people listening to this show have seen and loved. Um, he's, he's kind of a director on the rise. I'll, I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I don't you want to add? Give any or hints because I'm I'm. He's he and 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 does a lot of comedy horror. I'll say that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you really, really want to figure it out, I'll just go and Google and see what movies are coming out. that (laughs) (laughs) There there is a reason why this this guest who we recorded many weeks ago is is, uh, the episodes dropping next week. So, yeah, we're we're in a period right now where we're airing episodes that we recorded in the distant past. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of weird. Like um, my memory isn't as sharp on some of these because we haven't <laughs> right. just recently recorded them. Um, and that particular one, I think we did nearly. Fuck, I don't even know. Time is weird. Who yeah. even knows? Six years ago. That's when we it recorded was. it. It was. Yeah. It was six years or a week and a half. I can't tell. One of those <laughs> two, either one or equally is, is plausible. Somewhere <laughs> in between. Yes. Yeah. And then this week on the uh, the KingCast Patreon, we are dropping the live recording from the show that we just did with Stephen Graham Jones at the Alamo Draft House. He came in to town last weekend, uh, day before the Super Bowl. He helped us introduce and host a screening of Maximum Overdrive in 35 millimeter, and then we took everyone over to the Highball, which was uh, right next door, and um, we did a live show in there where we talked about Maximum Overdrive and horror and you know. Stephen Graham Jones's bizarre relationship with the uh, creatures of the world. Uh, it's it was a lot of fun. It, it's yeah. maybe the most fun I have had during one of our live 
events. Yeah. It's, no, it was just that. rollicking that, yeah. that thing. So um, y'all should look forward to that. It's Whenever Stephen Graham Jones uttered the phrase, like, did I ever tell y'all about the time I walked up on a bear? And I'm just like, yep, let's, let's do this. We're, we're in, we're in our <laughs> yeah. comfort zone, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. And he had a lot of fun. Had some good mm-hmm. audience questions too. I got to say. So yeah. 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 No, more of a comment than a question. None of that bullshit. Everyone came yeah. to play and then everyone got their copy of Don't Fear the Reaper signed afterwards. It was we got to hang out with some of the listeners. It was a lot of fun. And yeah. um, we we have captured, I believe, some of that magic on this on this live recording. And you can get that on Patreon.com backslash the Kingcast this Friday. Awesome. So, yeah, so we'll see y'all next week in the main feed with 112263. And, uh, you know, this Friday for our Patreon folks, you'll have that Stephen Graham Jones thing where we talk Maximum Overdrive. We talk Don't Fear the Reaper. We talk um, My Heart is a Chainsaw. It's you kind got, of a free you, for all conversation. It is. It, it's it's a wonderful potpourri of, of uh, things you love about Stephen Graham Jones and or the King cast. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, uh, both, both are, are bangers. I can say that much. So you got a Absolutely. good week of stuff coming up. Adios. Bye. The King cast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi. That's me. And Scott Wampler, Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel danger is our art director and editing is done by yours. Truly. <laughs>